0: Welcome to Inside Groove, the only motorsport show where super modifieds are king. Methanol is aromatic, and the drivers carry their balls in a bag. Inside Groove is powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Here's your host and fellow superholic, Tom Baker. Hello,
1: everyone, and welcome. To The Inside Groove Supermodified Podcast. This is episode 129. My name is Tom Baker. I am the host of the show and thankful to be back again and talking supermodified racing. And this show is going to be a little bit um, less hectic than our last one was. Uh, We've got Brandon Young going to be joining us. Brandon from the 350 Supermodified Division going to have a conversation with him about uh, his background and uh, how he got to the 350 division and what his season was like for him, his first uh, full year. And uh, looking forward to having that conversation with Brandon, we'll be presenting that to you shortly. Also, what's in the number? We're going to be looking at the number 29 in relevance to uh, Oswego Speedway and Supermodified History. And, uh lots of that going to be kind of a look back in time because uh, although we had um, Bentley Warren in the Dunningan 29 in the 90s and we can certainly talk about the Dunnigan uh, years too Paul's always a fascinating study right um, but a lot of the um, a lot of the fun stuff for the 29 is uh, is back in the day so we'll get to that here in a bit as well first of all um always I always fight with where to sort of put these types of things in the context of a show but um I'm I'm choosing to do this right at the beginning because I think it's it deserves to be at the beginning I want to start on a sad note um Leona Champagne Barnett passed away uh, and you know it, it's um, there, there were some amazing tributes that I saw online um, I was going to I was going to read one of those and then it, it just it it seemed uh, it, it just felt to me like I just needed to talk about um, my impressions of Leona a little bit but also to, to kind of talk about the big picture. First of all, um, I didn't know Leona too well. I met her a couple of times at the speedway over the years. Um, my younger years as a Jimmy champagne fan, um, you know, she obviously at that time, you didn't see, you know, a lot of women in the pits and, um, but I, but I did get to meet her a couple of times just to say hi. And it's, uh, you know, as after a race or whatever. And it's, it just, um, she just struck me as a sweet lady. That's when I, when, when I think of Leona, you know, I just think of a very kind, gentle, sweet, personality and that's always the way it seemed that she was you know they used to do in the 70s in the program they used to do a driver's wives big question and um it gave some insight into the sort of the personality and the character (laughs) of some of the uh women behind the machine if you will and Leona's answers to the questions, which sometimes those questions were fun. Sometimes they were sort of logical and other times they were, um, borderline, we'll put it like that. And again, you could tell a lot about the people, about the wives, just by the answers they gave to some of them. And and Leona's were, were always just very sort of easygoing and gentle. She was always very supportive of Jimmy And, um, of course, uh, you know, her, her second husband, Brett, uh, who was a good friend of Jimmy's and, um, she just, she just was, she, she, you know, back, back in that day, um, and, and I, I think it's still true today, but, you know, the, the wives understood that, you know, the men had a job to do. As racers, they 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 had to work on the car during the week. They had to, you know, to race on Saturdays or whatever days the races were. Um, there was the travel and all of that, and it just seemed like back then the wives, um, you know, were were very supportive, very involved, very, um, you know, they they did whatever they could do for their part. Um, and Leona, uh, though I I. Don't know if she was a race fan prior to Jimmy. She certainly became a Jimmy fan of his racing. Whether or not that ever translated into I love the sport in general, I'm not sure. I didn't know Leona that well to be able to talk about that in that way or to answer that with you know any uh real authority, but she she was very supportive of Jimmy. And Jimmy raced a lot, you know. You think about um, in the '70s, at least for much of the '70s, Jimmy was racing super modifieds at Oswego and wherever else they would race. And oftentimes that would mean Saturday at Oswego, Sunday at Fulton, or you know some sort of out of town race one day in the Oswego, the next or whatever. But but you know a couple of times a week. But then he would run uh, the the dirt modifieds fridays at rolling wheels sundays at weed sport and he also of course raced asphalt modified so jimmy was um that's a lot of hours and it's a lot of travel and i'm sure that we only didn't make all of those trips um you know it it she had to sort of fill a, a a gap you know there's it, she had to take care of the, the the kids and the house and you know all the things and and she still tried to be there whenever she could obviously for Jimmy and um it's uh you know it, it's just um it, you think about that back then and and that continued right up to the last couple of years that Jimmy raced and ultimately um gave his life to racing um you know that had to be very difficult at times but leona always seemed to handle it all with tremendous grace and you know and 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 just um calmness um and then of course uh you know brett raced as well he was the one that that um raced Jimmy's sprint car, uh, after Jimmy died. And, and so, you know, racing was a, a huge part of Leona's life. Um, and again, she, she was just always a, a, a picture of poise and grace and kindness and compassion and gentleness. Those are the things that I, remember about Leona um and and those are the the characteristics that I will always remember about Leona um you know I wasn't again I wasn't around her very much I wasn't and I haven't been privy to a lot of stories involving Leona other than what I've seen online this week but and then in Jimmy's book it you know if you if you we're fortunate enough to have a copy of the book or, or have read the book. It, it pretty clearly paints the picture of Jimmy's career in racing. And it, uh, it took a hundred percent commitment. And there was a point toward the end where Jimmy just didn't want to make that level of commitment anymore. He wanted to race But he also wanted more time for family and, you know, his life outside of racing. And um, so ultimately he did, you know, he raced a lot right up to the end, but there were certain things that he gave up uh, in the last few years. He stopped racing asphalt modifieds every week, stopped racing dirt modifieds every week. He eventually gave up asphalt modified racing altogether and kind of got talked into coming back for that fateful last race, the 1982 Budweiser modified 200. And, um, but he, he really, um, you know, he had slowed down tremendously. He raced the sprint car often, but not necessarily weekly. And then come back to Supers Weekly, but not as sort of the chief cook and bottle washer. He had Clyde Booth uh, to do a lot of the heavy lifting, I think, in that, that final year. And, you know, Jimmy could be a part of it, but he didn't have to be all of it. And he could race the car and enjoy racing again, um, but without necessarily the same level of commitment during the week. And so through it all, Leona was there for him right to the end. And I think that there can be no greater tribute paid from a racing point of view than to say that, that she was always supportive. She understood what it took and she understood Jimmy's dedication and his passion for what he was doing and the fact that, you know, he built all of his own cars. He everything basically rested on Jimmy and of course the 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 amazing team members that he had around him through those years on the pit crew. But, you know, it wasn't as if Jimmy was a helmet toter who just showed up, raced, you know, got his forty percent and went home. You know, Jimmy was it was all it was all jimmy's mind you know it was it was his business so to speak racing was a business for jimmy and 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 jimmy was you know he was the founder the ceo he was the you know the engineer he was you know he he was the guy and um i can only imagine the number of hours but when you read In Jimmy's book, you read a story that tells you that um, there came a point on Sunday afternoons. Jimmy would go out on Sunday morning after an Oswego race on Saturday, and he would kind of assess the situation with the car and make a list of things that needed to get done during the week. And then he would uh, close the door to the shop and walk away and take his kids out for candy and ice cream that 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 was family time he always tried to sort of hold sundays to that um at least you know for a while until obviously you know if you had a race at weedsport or whatever you gotta but you you always had that family time and that's really what um those are some of the things that that will kind of that i will remember about Jimmy and 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 about Leona that um it seemed as though despite the hours and hours and hours of commitment and and that it took it, with Jimmy especially in the early years when he was doing all of that racing and all of that winning and championships and features and all of that um it's pretty uh it says a lot about Leona that she was able to sort of shepherd the family and 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 kind of um, take that role and and and, and you know and, and make the best of it and be supportive of, of what Jimmy was doing. So um, we we will always remember Leona. Every driver has a better half and i think that's something a lot of fans probably don't think about often is is the hours of commitment and what that means in the family dynamic and that's i think that's kind of where joe gozik is now there's that point in time where you know maybe you're not willing to make all of that commitment anymore you know maybe it needs to to be scaled back in some way if not set aside altogether and you know it it wasn't meant to be that jimmy would go out on his own terms unfortunately but he did uh he was doing what he loved to do um and leona was the shining light behind all of it she was she was the beacon so um thoughts and prayers to the champagne and and barnett and Murata and all of you know that whole family uh you know for uh cerise jill and chad and um you know everyone who knew and loved leona we will remember her very fondly we'll be back with more of the inside groove after this Experience the age-old Irish hospitality at LeGroff's Pub and Grill, a Swiggo's premier local spot to grab a cold one and cheer on your favorite sports teams. Stop in for an ice cold beer alongside some exceptional pub fare. Burgers, wings, chicken sandwiches, Philly cheesesteaks, soups, and more. You want it, they've got it, served up with more than 40 years of awesome customer service. Have a friendly game of darts against players from across the world. That's right, players from across the world. Where else in Oswego can you go to play darts against somebody from across the world? That's crazy. Watch the games on their eight big screen TVs or just relax at Oswego's Neighborhood Bar and Grill. Legroffs Pub, 187 East 10th Street in Oswego. Check them out on LaGroffe's.com. welcome back to the inside groove episode 129 continues and our special guest has joined us on this particular program it is brendan young with us right now brendan is a Racer in the 350 Super Modified Division with a very interesting background. So looking forward to kind of diving in. And this is Brendan's first time on the show. So he does have the rookie stripe on. So we'll see how this goes. Brendan, welcome to the program.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: Well, it's good to uh, good to talk with you. And um, I guess we should start by kind of getting the necessaries out of the way. Tell us about where you're from and how you got connected to motor racing to begin with.
2: All right. Uh, So I'm from upstate New York. Um, I've been racing pretty much as long as I can remember. I want to say it was six, seven years old. uh, Started in the little open wheels. Um, My grandpa had a super modified race team, so my mom's been in love with the racing scene. As long as she's been alive too so it just kind of got passed down she put me in the car as soon as i was able to um so yeah pretty much as soon as i was born I, she wanted me to be a racer and it just so happens i fell in love with it too so it worked out well
1: well now we're all curious who is your grandfather
2: uh skip holslander uh he was part of the graves racing roselli gni team uh, that now is a uh, so they had, I think it was a three-car team back then. I want to say Doug Hebron. Uh, that's ah, that's the first thing that comes to mind. Yeah,
1: interesting connection. Okay, so, um, so there was racing in the jeans, so to speak, and um, you uh, you inherited uh, a bit of a different take on it because you became a driver. So uh, when did you? Because I know uh, I did what little research I could find, and and it looks like you come from a two wheel background so can you kind of walk us through your like obviously you got connected to a Swiggle first i guess and then how did your sort of interest in the sport and then it, it got somehow to two wheel and now back to four um talk a little bit about your your life and you, and the start of your career
2: uh so i started racing uh, open wheels the quarter midgets um I was like six i want to oh. say about 11 um right. and then uh, one of my best friends aaron was racing four wheelers um and so i ended up getting one of those and it was a uh, no you're not racing these just for fun um,
0: <laughs> sure and,
2: uh, that didn't last very long so <laughs> i gave up the car and switched that full time uh my mom's supportive as long as i'm racing something that's all she wants uh my stepdad Steve, he's been helping me mechanically for about 12, 13 years now. So, us three were really the program. Um, and I raced quads for, say, the last 10, 11 years. Um, and then, dirt uh, bikes were just a side project. It was oh, okay. mostly racing for okay. a quad. Dirt uh, bikes just to stay in shape, uh, they break a lot less. So, ride them <laughs> as often as they can. Um, And then kind of achieved all I wanted to, and a quad hits a little bit on the more dangerous side than a car. Uh, Obviously, big things can happen in a car, but less often, I'd say. So uh, we finally got the opportunity this year. We got a call from Mike Barbera that his Purple 75 was available, and as soon as I said something to my mom, she's like, yep, we have to do it. We've been waiting 24 years for this, so let's do it while we can
1: so you you race mostly it it was actually a four-wheeler not a two-wheeler but uh certainly you're still much more vulnerable on a quad than in a 350 super so um you kind of uh made the switch what what was it like because i you know i i talk to drivers all the time that maybe go from quarter midgets to something or they go from legends cars to late models or whatever but uh going from a quad to a 350 Super, um, other than the fact that it, there's a start and a finish, there really isn't very much in common with the skill set, is there?
2: Uh, honestly, no. Um, <laughs> I didn't think so. It, it's the speed that yeah. got me hooked. Um, definitely a different skill set. Uh, using different muscles, uh, quad, it's entire body, and it's a two-hour long race. Um, supers, oh, wow. Obviously, it's uh, different every week, but... Yeah, definitely different skill sets. Uh, last year I got some tag carts as well, so the, low, the road course carts. Um, yeah. So I raced a couple of those last year oh. uh, just to fill the gaps and uh, get me back into a car setting. Obviously still way different than a Super. But
1: sure.
2: Yeah, so got the Super, did a couple of fast Fridays. I think we got relatively good up to speed. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's been good. We kept her out of the wall most of the year, so that was a success.
1: How do you like racing the three hundred and fifty? I mean, I, I would, I would imagine for you. Um, I know you, you know, you talked about the speed got you hooked as far as like the quad or whatever. But the three hundred and fifty obviously must be quite the fun experience. And even if it was, it required you to almost learn a whole new motorsports, you know, set of programming. Um, You know, it must must be a joy to race something as quick as that, as opposed to, say, coming into the car thing and going into a late model or something along those lines.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, it's literally been a dream come true. Uh, I've been going to Oswego... As many races as I can, I have only missed probably three classics ever in my life. Oh, wow. Um, so to actually get behind, I, I never thought I'd get the chance to even drive one, um, let alone race one. So to check both those off the list is awesome. And if my grandpa was still here today, I know nothing would have made him happier than seeing me in that. So it's just all coming to fruition is its beautiful. I i couldn't be happier, honestly. And the speed is, somebody told me, it's the fastest and cheapest thing you can do in racing if you want to go real fast there's no other way to look than a 350 if you don't have unlimited pockets so
1: well yeah i mean uh, i guess if you compare it even to a big block super there's a difference in cost but of course if you want to go even faster you can always go get an indy car but that's a little bit more of an investment uh and (laughs) that's the real dream yeah that's uh um so Talk a little bit about your your first season in the 350. I mean, you, did it go how you expected it to? Are you happy with? I know there's another race at Lancaster that you probably are hopefully going to run this weekend. Uh, but um, I mean, how how has it been for you so far compared to what you expected?
2: Oh, that's tough. Um, I always set my expectations high. I'm very competitive. Uh, the first race. It was just a race of survival. I think it was an earliest 350 race, so we go all year uh, with Jason Spaulding going upside down, Tyler oh, in right, 45. Yeah. I mean, it was just carnage all over, and it's something you don't normally see from that class, so to be able to just get through that clean was great. Um, I got the hard charge award. I had to start last, it was my first ever race, so it lasted fourth. Um, not, it wasn't really on track passes, I really just got lucky. Honestly. It all counts. Yeah, I mean, just being there at the end. He's right. you got to be there to win, so um, that race was definitely a little shocking. It didn't go exactly how I expected, but I was happy with it. Um, then from there on, I mean, we had some speed and time trials and stuff. Um, didn't really get past too much. Couldn't really make many moves, though. It's definitely, I'm just learning to be patient, um, setting people up. It's totally different than on a quad. You can just take a different line, yell at them a little bit, move them out of the way, give them a bump. There's so many ways to get around so <laughs> in quad, but uh, supers takes a lot of patience. So learning that slowly. Um, classic Tango quite as the way I wanted. I really wanted to at least get in the redraw, and I was like a quarter of a tenth from getting into that went 11th in time trial. So uh, it wasn't bad. Everybody's you know give me the high fives and good job way to keep it together i want more though it's just you know everybody wants more but i was really happy the cars a one piece um unfortunately i don't think we're going to make it out to lancaster this weekend uh, i think we're done for the season we're going to tear it down and get ready for next year make sure everything is all set and ready for a full tour
1: okay um so what was it like i mean i i've been my first classic was 1974 i think i was six or something and um you know been you know been either going to or watching classics from afar ever since and um never obviously had the opportunity to experience it as a driver though i have uh from as a media member and a crew member and um it's and, and and uh uh the infield announcer too one year. But what was it like for you this year to kind of experience it all as a driver and a participant in it? You know, it, it has to be a bit of a um a strange sort of uh uh compression of time that you you can think about being in the grandstand and cheering for the driver. That you liked, and now you are the driver that other people in the grandstand are applauding and cheering for. Um, that had to be a really special weekend for you.
2: Oh my gosh, it was surreal. Um, my mom, right before the feature, she always goes to sands. She just loves watching from up there. So we me had too. the whole purple crew up there in the sands uh, cheering for me, and so on the site laps and everything, you get to see them. That was awesome. Uh, like I said earlier, I never thought I would actually be in it. I remember, actually, a year ago, Classic, uh, I don't know why, I just had a feeling, and I said to my mom, I said, I'm racing Classic next year, and then we got the carts and stuff, and the uh, first half of this year went by, still wasn't driving anything, I was in some talks trying to get weasel my way into a seat, um, and then it, everything just rolled real fast as soon as we got that call, and it all came to came to be true it was it was an unreal feeling and every time i get on the track i just smile so big no matter what position i'm in so racing the legendary classic was it was so awesome it was yeah literally just a dream come true
1: was was that how you met mike uh and kind of ended up being able to be on his his rolodex uh when he was going to sell the car were you looking to hop in it or or like kind of lease it or do make a deal to drive it in some form or fashion
2: uh yeah so last year maybe last two years maybe um i'm not sure exactly how i know tyler thompson a little bit as well but i just kind of started hanging out in their pit and me and mike get along extremely well he's an awesome guy tons of knowledge, um, and he invited me to come up and be part of the pit crew, and I knew just being around and learning would help me if I ever did get a car, so stayed up there as long as I could, Um, and then last year, at the end of the year, I got to Fast Friday, the 99 car, um, and it went surprisingly well, so we knew I could possibly do something if I got a chance, and so I just kept putting the bug in Mike's ear, like, hey, Bob can't make it this weekend, I I got a race suit, hey Tyler can't make it this weekend, I've got a race suit, and it was always uh, okay, and then he finally gave me the call that that car was available, so we just hopped on it, and uh, there's no way we would have been able to make it to the track this year without him, he's been so helpful, so knowledgeable, car setup, his uh, garage is only a couple minutes from the track, so we bring it up there quite often. Uh, he helps us out with anything we need, so yeah, Mike has been a blessing
1: so i want I wanna go back to the quad uh period for a minute because i think I think our fans would be interested in you know what it's like to to race one of those things because that's something that doesn't get necessarily a whole lot of mainstream visibility, but it's it's a form of racing that um is pretty wild and crazy at times, and I think it takes, you know, a certain mindset to be able to just go out and do it well. What what was that like for you? Because you started that pretty young and did it for quite a while.
2: Yeah, um, honestly, I think it's kind of weird that they like flip flopped. I mean, Oswego, you sounds like you've been there for a long time. You know how big the crowds used to be there. Yes. Um, and when I first started quads, I mean, so. I guess her uh just a layout a little bit. For the local New York quad racing series there's between two hundred to three hundred quads on track at one time. Wow. Um it's a between a nine and twelve mile track, uh, and you're racing for two hours. Um and it's not it's weird that it's not televised, it's not as easy to access. The nationals they go up and down the east coast, you can go on and watch those on YouTube or Racer T V. Um But the amount of people that go to those things for the Nationals there's twenty five to thirty five thousand people at the track any Wow. And so the amount of spectators is just unreal for that. And then Oswego, unfortunately, there's not as many people in the stands anymore, but it's a lot easier to access with flow. So it goes both ways, which I think is cool but also strange that (laughs) there's not more people at the track at Oswego since you can see so much. Uh so, yeah, the quads have grown a ton. Um, I started, yeah, like I said, I think it was 2011. I was my first full year um, just in the C class. You know, I wasn't wasn't fast or anything, and I always said, oh, if I could be my buddy Greg. I was like, if I could be as fast as him, I'd be happy. And then you get to that level, and it's always, oh, if I could be as fast as him, I'd be sure. happy. You just keep going, keep going, and you never settle. But it's a totally different mindset I ended up finally, uh, the last year, getting promoted to pro. I ended up number two in uh, New York State. Oh, wow. And, uh, Congrats. Thank you. So I'd, I'd achieve more than I thought I would, so I was like, you know what? I can walk away still. <laughs> yeah. Let's do it while we can, because any more and you've got to pretty much turn it into a full-time job, which I don't have the time or money for that, unfortunately, but it's been good transition over to the super now
1: yeah it's interesting you mentioned uh i can walk away still um i remember years ago there 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 used to be and i don't know if they even still have it but there used to be a giant kind of um racing show at the harrisburg I think it was called the Harrisburg Farm Show Complex in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. It was like January or February every year. It was a big indoor thing and the highlight or the main attraction was Supercross and but they also had a giant car show in another part of this massive building. And I was in the car show one morning about I think it was about ten thirty or so and I was just kind of walking around talking to people. And um all of a sudden I start seeing, you know, two or three um young you know, younger people come in and they're they're limping. And it's just like, (laughs) I I looked at whoever I was with, I said, what, you know, why are these people? He goes, oh, um, well, Supercross must be on a break. (laughs) you know the (laughs) racers are wandering around the building right and it's i mean obviously um you know that form of racing that you know injuries to the to the limbs uh or anywhere uh to the body are are not um unexpected they're sort of it's sort of the opposite you know that if you do it long enough you're going to get hurt in some way shape or form um i would think quads may be a little safer than like the supercross but nonetheless Still a very physical form of motorsport that's got to be very hard on the body.
2: Oh yeah, it's incredibly hard on the body. Those those moto kids, quad kids, they're tough. I mean, you're getting if you go a couple races without getting thrown off and ejected off your quad or bike, you're doing pretty good. So yep. You're always pushing the limit, though. You're not going to learn unless you're riding on the edge. So it's a it is a tough sport, and it is sad the injuries plague so many good seasons especially like professionals um you can be a good battle halfway through the year and then somebody snaps a leg and you're like ah well there goes that and uh yeah so uh, the last couple years i've been relatively healthy um didn't have any too big get-offs stayed at the hospital last couple years pretty much and i went okay i think it's a good time to walk away while you can walk away
1: yeah yeah exactly i mean you you look at at uh some of these young racers like austin fortner and and roxon and some of these other guys and it's like, man, um, you know you, you you really you you give a lot to that part of the sport for sure, uh, and you're lucky if you get away without a serious injury in your career. But now that uh, yeah, sure. you're kind of sitting in a full containment seat in a 350 super modified, um, you know certainly not that something can't happen, but um, you know it it, it it seems definitely a step up in driver safety from where you were. Um, so now, what do you think? Um, is your next sort of progress step with regard to the 350 Super as you look at 2024 and you assess the time that you've been on the track for, for this season. Um, what are you working on? What are your goals to improve? What are you thinking about that you need to do either with yourself or the car um, to be able to uh, take that next step in 24 and run for wins in a championship?
2: Tough question. Um, I guess I'll tell you what we are going to do. I'm not sure what it's going to pay off. But, okay. Uh, so we're running a, that motor that I have. is It's like two years old. Um, I'm sure it's still up to par. But uh, I definitely had trouble if I got under somebody in the corner. As soon as we hit the straight, I'd still get dragged in it. So it was tough to really make passes. It was easier to hold them off because okay. that car is really good in the corners. Um, So we're going to get the motor refreshing. Um, I'm looking at getting a simulator so I can actually do a little practice at home this winter.
0: Oh, nice. Um,
2: But, yeah, I mean, we were time trials. We were close. Um, We were finally down to that 17 flat, 16-9 bracket at the end of the year there. So we were not far, not too far, at least off the top guys. I mean, Sokola, he's... He just rips. Same as the Jeffrey Battle. Yeah. I mean, those two those two are normally good two-tenths up the road from everybody else, but I'm right in the pack with everybody else. And uh, so I think we can definitely, if we start out front, I think we've got a good chance to maybe snag a couple wins next year. Obviously, I would love to be a track champion, so I'm going to try as hard as I can to get there. If that's realistic, we'll find out a couple weeks in. Um, but nothing's going to stop me from trying so set this set the bar high and see where we land
1: well if chase Locke can win it at like 14 or 15
0: sure. you know i mean
2: <laughs> <laughs> that, that kid's something different too i just saw uh ryan battle and it's uh it's ryan Locke, i think right well chase's uh, brother chase's
1: brother's ryan yeah
2: yeah so they just went to battle for the star classic yeah. last week so that was cool um yeah chase that kid rips i mean i guess i can say i'm glad he's of the 350 class anymore.
1: <laughs> well we don't know for sure if he's out of the 350 class but uh does seem like he probably isn't going to run regularly to swigo anymore which is good for you uh yes it's just amazing how that that can happen right and of course you know you know because you came up you were racing quads through that that Kind of stage of your life um in those years but you do you, you find that you i mean i feel like at that age you almost don't know what you don't know it's almost like an ignorance of fear like you don't you don't you just go out and do what you do and you don't really necessarily understand enough to be to know what to be uh, sensibly afraid of or respectful <laughs> of right and and uh, exactly. then you get to a point where you know you sort of understand you know the whole picture and it isn't that it it makes you afraid to go it's just a different it's a more mature approach in some ways and um and and i think he was kind of at that stage last year it's like he had a he had one of the fastest cars on the track and and um And a boatload of of talent from racing since, you know, five or six or whatever it was when he started um, and coming up through other divisions, you kind of came up through the quads, which as we've, we've said is a totally different, I mean, I can't even imagine what a two hour quad race is like, what is the, like, what are you, (laughs) you know, we think about NASCAR and you, and you talk about when you run a longer race, you want to save the car, save the tires. I can't picture that there's really any of that in a quad race, but yet you've got two hours on the track. What is the approach and how do you kind of, what is the mindset of, you know, of getting through two hours on a, on a course like that with a quad.
2: Uh, for training for that, it's just tons and tons of cardio. Uh, I'd come home from work and immediately hop on the spin bike. Um, and I'd just go, I'd throw a TV show on, i watch a lot of racing, so, or I'd throw a race on and I'd just pedal for two, two and a half hours. Wow. Um, everything's cardio training. Um, it was hard to really do like any bulking muscle wise cause your arms would just pump up. Um, you'd get arm pump and then you're locked up. You can't really ride to your potential. Um, so it's first lap you're still you're probably at 85 percent speed uh just learning the layout of the track um but if you start up front and the people that you know you're supposed to be battling against are with you you kind of turn it on early and that's when stuff can get sketchy because uh, you don't know exactly what you're hitting it's hard to even remember you when you got nine to eleven miles you got to remember every bump the lap before so you know how fast you can hit stuff what's coming up um so yeah, it's I'd say like, 10 years ago, at least at the pro level it seemed, uh, with, there's some fields and stuff in it too, and they used to re- kind of relax in the fields, um, but the level has just gotten so high over the last few years, you pretty much have to be pushing as hard as you can for the entire two hours, get wow. left in the dust. So, I mean, you're, your hands are just full of blisters most of the time, knees are destroyed, obviously your back's all sore, it, it's... entire body you you don't like moving monday morning that's for sure
1: wow that's incredible so basically the 350 super must feel like a breeze after that
2: yeah the only thing that was sore on me after 350 was my neck a little bit just the g-force g-forces sure other than that i mean yeah i can get used to that 350 for sure
1: well that's uh it's it's an interesting transition and and not one that you often see. Um I mean we've seen some of you know, the guys over the years that have transitioned from, you know, like uh two wheels to NASCAR or whatever. Um and I I really I mean in all honesty, I'm not sure anyone's ever really mastered that one, but um but a trans transitioning to an open wheel open cockpit car is I, I think the level of um, you know Bravery is still there, but um, you know, in a little bit of a safer package. So, um, who who are your sponsors? Who helps you? Who has helped you along the way? Um, you know, never like to do one of these interviews without giving somebody the opportunity to um, to say thank you to whom that they need to. Who helps out with their their racing program and has helped them get where they need to be.
2: Uh, we talked about him a little bit earlier, Mike Barbera. Uh, he is. He's been undeniably the biggest factor to get me into the 350 class. Um, Extremely good motivational. uh, Fast Friday, the first time I was a couple tenths off, and he came in. Why won't you go faster here? Is it the car or is the confidence? Like confidence. Like well, just do it then. You don't know until you do it. Okay, you got me. So, uh, car set up, confidence booster. Use uh, letting us use his garage, any parts, any tools we need. Uh, he's really been the one to get us uh, started in this 350 class. So Mike Barbera is probably the first one I'd like to thank. Um, my stepdad, Steve, spends countless hours in the garage. Uh, he's been my mechanic for a 10 years now, no matter what I'm racing. And he absolutely loves this 350. I mean, I can't get him out of the garage. So... Every time I go over to their house, where's Steve? Oh, he's in the garage already. So (laughs) uh, obviously him, got to thank him. My mom, she's got me into racing forever. She'll do anything it takes to help me get on the track. Uh, My dad really, he didn't love the quad. He was always afraid of me getting hurt. But the 350, he's found himself uh, right there in the pit crew every week. Good. Does anything he needs, so my dad as well. Uh KML construction rick case or, or transportation, sorry, KML transportation, Rick Case. Uh they're my first real uh like money sponsor, helped me get onto the track. Um he is his family was in racing for the last twenty years as well. He's taken a high chance oh, wow. for the last like ten. Um, But as soon as he heard I was getting into the super, he's like, yep, I think this is what I needed. Let's get my addiction going again. So (laughs) he's been in the pit crew with us. He's uh, an actual money sponsor for us now. So, yeah, not too many yet. Um, So if anyone was listening to this, wants to help out a rookie next year, I'm always accepting. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Uh,
2: But, yeah, those are the main guys. And then I've got a couple friends and family members on the pit crew that come every week and help me out so and then Mike Barbera's buddy John uh out of the blue the first Fast Friday he beat Mike to the track uh we didn't know him too well he just shows up hey I'm your tire guy I've got set up help anything you need I'm here and he talks to me every week before and after the race he always helps us out in the pits and didn't have to ask him to do anything he just hops right in and uh yeah, so great crew of guys. Couldn't ask for a better group of people around me, and we'll see where it goes.
1: What would be your ultimate goal in motorsports? If you could, let's say, in you know, in three years, uh, if you could be wherever you wanted to be in the sport, where would you where would you be?
2: The unrealistic goal would be IndyCar, uh, Formula One, of course. But IndyCar, I think, is maybe even cooler in the last couple of years just how close the racing is I absolutely love watching that uh, the realistic goal would be probably a big block I mean auto's done so I would like to slide into that G&I team <laughs> so
1: you were the long list of others Brendan <laughs> oh yes
2: there's a lot of names on that list but hey I'll do what I need to to get to the top of it
1: well it's uh yeah again you and a lot of others um it's um yeah it it uh otto's certainly i'm sure uh on you know the 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 sunset uh as they say of his career but still obviously capable of winning anytime he's on the track and and uh yeah yeah, big block super um that would be amazing i'm sure for you and 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 as someone who you know grew up in oswego and was able uh you were probably a little young at at, at <laughs> no pun intended um you you the, at that point to remember doug have but if that if that was the um the limo if that was the black one the graves house car one that you're talking about um yep. then uh yeah doug gave that quite a ride doug i remember doug winning a heat race i think it was a heat or a concierge or something in that car running he he was running sixteen six laps with one hand on the wheel holding the uh the, the in and out uh the the shift the other the lever and the other to keep it in gear um and uh you know doug was was one of the all-time greats to ever sit in a in a super modified and um you know you uh you your your family certainly your grandpa's the top operations i would say in the history of super modified racing though um it maybe it didn't i mean they did win a lot of races but um you know that was a very competitive time in the division too and and uh so you know that's pretty cool that you've been able to kind of grow up around that and went off and did you know the quad thing for a while and and got all that um it sort of experience and and uh you know it was was able to 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 do something radically different and then now you've come back and uh shoot IndyCar is uh yeah it's probably unrealistic but um you know who knows I mean if you if you play Powerball every week they you know they've been <laughs> been some big um big jackpots lately so uh you know maybe <laughs> maybe you could uh but uh yeah it's that's a tough deal and again that's that's another situation that obviously changed so much over the years because when i started going in the 70s we had x indy cars racing in oswego and also it was super modifieds were a step um to IndyCar car now it's so much about road courses that you've got that whole yeah. road to indy thing going on um and f1 is just if you're from america um good luck <laughs> good luck yeah i mean there's yeah. there, there's a young man named hunter yaney who I know pretty well uh, him and his family they're from Virginia he's 17 I think now and and he's actually they've taken him he's over in Europe um, and running FIA F3 trying to to kind of make that leap but boy by the time you get to F2 you either have to have you know a whole boatload full of money or you've got to be connected with someone in a very high place. Logan Sargent somehow has gotten through to the paddock, um, and driven F1 now, but, um, and he's a good shoe, but boy, it's just hard to do that from here. Even with Hodge, you'd think it would get easier, but now Andretti's talking about one and who knows, but, um, yeah, tough deal with the open wheel, open cockpit stuff, but big block supers would certainly, uh, it'd be great to see you in one and, um, it's it's great to to have you as part of the oswego speedway driver lineup now brendan and and uh happy I that you that. you got the chance to achieve your you know your dream um of racing at oswego and you're you know you've got a i mean you're still what 24 25
2: yeah, 24 years old yeah. this year
1: so you've got um i mean if if you're talking joe gozik years you've got at least 43 Years left
2: the race so yeah well, i mean I, th- I don't think Otto started till he was in his 30s either and he yeah. became a phenom quickly so
1: well, joe's 67 and still going so uh you know you got plenty That's of time to, to conquer that yes he is for sure absolutely you got plenty of time to conquer that mountain and uh look forward to, to seeing what you can do in 2024 and um you know as the season gets started and uh of course you know we we try to interview as many of the winners as we can so uh go win a feature race and we'll get you back on the groove again
2: i would love to do that let's see if we can make it happen all
1: right brendan uh, we appreciate you being on the show and uh have a uh you and your family have a safe and joyous holiday season and we'll look forward to uh seeing you at the track in 2024 that is brendan young we will be back with more of the groove right after this Okay folks, I want to tell you about one of our sponsors here on Inside Groove Indy Performance Composites. They're a premier composite design and manufacturing company creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive aerospace and communications industries. Jeff West and his team are amazing. They do all kinds of work in the motorsports industry from dirt tracks to NASCAR to IndyCar, supermodifieds. It doesn't matter if you've got something that you need designed or fabricated, let them help you transform your idea, your vision and your budget into a workable high performance solution. They have all kinds of services from 3D printing to finishing services, end-to-end composite solutions is what they are. Check them out, ipcindy.com or IndiePerformanceCompositesInc.com and tell them that the folks from Inside Groove set you. We're back on the Inside Groove Supermodified podcast. And before we get to what's in a number, uh, a couple of things that I want to talk a little bit about. First of all, uh, we'll, we're going to try to get uh, Camden in to do, again, a bit of a deeper dive on the events at Evans Mills. But congratulations to Danny K, Danny Kapazinski, and uh, Jeff Abold on their big wins uh, at the Mills. And um, that, I, you know, I really wish that that would have been live streamed Um, and I don't know what we need to do to make that happen, but um, I really would like to see all the ISMA shows uh, on flow because in all honesty that's really what you that's what you need you need to have flow racing or some other bigger streamer to get um access to you know a bigger wider audience right so um you know i wish that would have because i would like to have been able to watch it i i think probably uh rollo um had had a stream and and i love uh that he does that and and appreciate that he does that um But, um, you know, obviously it's, it's different when, you know, somebody's sort of in the crowd with a cell phone than if you're, you know, if you're on flow, right. So, um, but really, uh, really, really excited to, to see how that went and how good it was, how great the racing was. Um, Evans Mills is a beautiful facility and I know that, um, the current management has done a ton to it and you know I I would like to see more of, you know, whether it's the three fifties, the SBS or the or, or the big blocks, I'd like to see more uh kind of cross pollination between the and Evans Mills in the future because um, you know, it's obviously one of the few Asphalt tracks still running in New York State. There's not a lot. Shemung is still running. Spencer runs on occasion. Lancaster's, thankfully, still going. I'm not sure about Holland. That track has been up and down like a yo-yo over the last few years. I don't know if they're still doing anything or not. Um, but I mean, we've lost so many of them. Um, you know, I mean, we had two tracks in. You know, the southern tier that were Shangri-La's one and two, those went down years ago. Um you know, asphalt racing in New York State is it's tough right now. It's in a you know, it's in kind of a tough place. So um it would be great to see uh somehow see all of the tracks that remain kind of work together and have some of the open wheel stuff. So hopefully you know, that can, I know that there was a a race at Shimong and, um, you know, it's, uh, Shimong's a tough track. It, it no doubt is. I had a blast there. Uh, the couple of years I was, was involved there and, um, we had an ISMA race there in 2002 when I was, um, managing it and it was a great race. I mean, it, it was just so much fun. Unfortunately, we didn't get the crowd because the weather just it, it looked like at any minute we were going to have a severe thunderstorm and it rained everywhere, but at the racetrack, but, um, but that was a, was a good show. And so would really love to see, especially with the three fifties and the SBS, I'd love to see more of that. But, uh, the big blocks, I think ISMA definitely needs to be more of a New York state. Um, and there's a couple of places in PA, I mean, Jennerstown, they still run obviously, um, you've got Lake Erie that I think would be an amazing track for him. You know, there's, there's a few tracks in that area, um, you know, and, um, just, just kind of do it, you know, as a, a locally based type deal for a bit and work with MSS on the Midwest stuff. And, and I think you've got a, a recipe there for, um, a nice little schedule and some great racing. So congratulations to... Uh, those two winners will, uh, and we'll have, uh, like I said, we'll try to get Camden because he was obviously there, uh, try to get, uh, you know, him to, in in this next week here, hopefully to do more, um, do a show and give more details for us. So um, I also wanted to mention that um, just today, actually, I saw um, Brian Cavalier posted on Facebook um the top 50 super modified drivers um and he used the formula that was based on the what he thought was kind of the formula used for the 50th anniversary of we speedway book which came out in 2000 it's hard to believe that was 23 years ago that came out already um so I thought I would look at this because I happened to see it and I, and I just find it to be an interesting list. Um, I thought about just saving and doing a whole show on it, but gosh, I, I, it just seemed we can always, uh, you know, carry it on uh, in more depth later, but I just thought I'd take a look at this. So according to, to Brian's list, Jimmy champagne, is the number one all-time driver that's as it should be um and there's this is a just a points total here right not a points standings total but like a score just a score um 278.25 for jimmy um 275.75 and second for nolan swift so the old gray fox um, number two in the all-time list, Bentley Warren, number three, 246.25. So um, number four on the list is Otto Sitterly, 226. And number five, Eddie Bellinger Jr., 163.5. Now, if you take a look at that list, first of all, this gives you an idea to me of just how great Jimmy Champine was, right? Like out of all the drivers that have raced at the Oswego Speedway for any length of time, you know, Jimmy's at the top. Nolan's second. Bentley's third. To me, that feels like the right top three. Otto Siddeley's fourth. I totally would see that because, again, Otto in his period of time has dominated that period, clearly. Um, Eddie Bellinger, fifth. Now, here's what's interesting. Joe Gozik, sixth. He's five points behind Bellinger. 158.25 to 163.5. Greg Furlong is seventh, 156.75. Doug Didero is eighth, one hundred seven point seven five. Dave Schulich Jr. is ninth, one hundred point five. And Steve Joya Jr.'s tenth at ninety-seven. Now again, this is an index score, I believe. So I, I don't think it's points per se. Like, I, I think this is just whatever formula they used. What I think is interesting here is, again, the top 10 are almost 200 apart in score. From 278.25 for Jimmy Champagne at the top to Steve Joy is 97 in 10th. And again, that you know that's not to take away from you know, anybody's accomplishments or career, it's just interesting to look at this. Um, it's also interesting to note that of all the drivers in the top 10, only two of them are still racing. Otto Sitterly and Joe Gozik, though, you know, Bentley at 83, who knows, he could come out of retirement at any time. Um, <laughs> I, he might have tried to race the deuce if they let him. Um... You look at the next 10, Warren Conium, 95.5 in 11th, 12th is Doug Haveron, 89.5, 13th Mike Muldoon, 87.25, 14th Eddie Bellinger Sr., 83.25, 15th Mike Ordway, 73.5, 16th Jack Murphy, 66.25, 17th all-time, this is impressive to me, Bobby Bond, 61.5. Eighteenth Kenny Andrews 58.75. 19th, Michael Barnes fifty two point two five and twentieth Pat Abold or Pat Abold if you'd like, <laughs> As people like to call him fifty one point two five. Now, what's again you look at the the you look at this list? How many modern era drivers are on it? Otto Cederly he's fourth. I Joe Gozik is like he's been all eras, right? <laughs> Joe's been since 1980. So there's about three eras there. Um, He's sixth. Uh, Dave Jr. Jr.'s ninth. Then you go all the way down to where? Let's see. Uh, Bobby Bond in 17th and Michael Barnes 19th. So of all the current kind of current era drivers, you got four out of the top 20. And Sitterly, again, the formula... Sitterly 226. Um, Gozik, 158. Now, you know, I've heard Roy Sova say a number of times that Gozick's average finish is inside of five, like in the top five for his whole career. So that should tell you just how good Otto has been. <laughs> right? So, um... Pretty incredible when you think about it, and and you look at the top five, and all of them came from the era of the '60s through, um, you know, '80s except for Otto. So, and and I would argue that was the toughest era in which to have big stats. So, it. It really shows you how great Jimmy Champlain, Nolan Swift, Bentley Warren, and Eddie Bellinger were, you know, their accomplishments. And then Siderley to be among that list and Gozik, who's had this, you know, long career that we hope it continues, even if it's in part-time form, right? Um. I don't know what he would need to do to overtake Bellinger, but uh, to raise his score or index or whatever you want to call it, five points, but he would need to raise it a little over five, about five and a half points in order to jump up to fifth. And uh, Furlong's retired. Didero's retired. Dave Schillick Jr. is only at a hundred point five. And I say only because I'm comparing it to the, to the numbers he'd have to attain in order to, you know, to get up into the top four or five. He's, you know, I would assume that's, you know, he probably has to, he'd probably have to race a while and really be on top of things. Um, and then Steve Joy has retired. So um, really quite the list. I mean, I guess I can run through the rest of them. Um, 20th through 30, Chuck Siprich, 21st, Todd Gibson, 22nd, Lee Bliss, 23rd, Billy Bloom, 24th, Tim Garou, 25th, Um. Again, I would argue that's quite impressive for Timmy. Tim Snyder, 26th. Kempton dates, 27th. Um, Dave Paul, 28, Dave Danzer, 29th. And Gary Albert in 30th. Now, I would look at Kempton's score of 34.5, and, and it, it would look weak in comparison to the rest, but you, it, Kempton had a, a his first number of years about, uh, what, seven, eight years or so, maybe not quite that many he he struggled with inferior equipment and whatever, and, and then it was only in 75. He had he had three from 75 to through 78, so that's four seasons where he was championship caliber and did basically all of his winning in that really condensed period of time. So, you know, again, the, this is just a formula. It, it's not saying this guy was better than that guy or whatever, but I think, you know, you look at, so then you get 30, let's see, 31 through 40. Dave McKnight, 31st. Dick Jarrett, senior, 32nd. Randy Ritzke is 33rd. Ronnie Wallace, 34th. Um, Art Bennett, 35th. Norm Macra, 36th. Jeff Abel, 37th. Uh, Ronnie Lux 38th, Bob thirty 39th, Brandon Bellinger was 40th. So we now have two Abel's and two Bellingers on the list. And then 41 through 50, Tyler Thompson 41st, Russ Wood 42nd, Jamie Moore 43rd, Ray Graham 44th, David Gruel 45th. That's impressive. Chris Purley, 46th. And Purley, never even, I don't think, did he have even a season where he ran weekly? Maybe one. Freddie Graves, all the way back down in 47th. That surprises me. Bobby Stelder, 48th, surprises me. Joey Payne, 49th. I'm glad to see him on the list. And Howie Page, handsome Howie, um, 50th on the list. So there's there's a... I think a good mix of eras here. And of course the current driver is still racing. So you, you, you look at it and you know, some of these drivers have a chance to still move up, but I think it really just shows you cause I, you know, look, I, we can all have our take, but, um, I just think that the, the seventies, especially, you know, the, say 70 through 76 those 69 70 through 76 those were the the toughest because we had the most cars per week and you just had so many just legendary racers that were competing at that time so again hard to rack up big stats you had a number of years we had nine ten different feature winners And yet here is Jimmy Champagne at the top of the list. Here's Nolan Swift in second. Now, Bentley had two different careers. He had the the 60s, you know, to maybe early 70s. Then he went to Indy and didn't come back to Oswego until 76. And then he had from 76 to, what was it, 2007. Um, And so, again, Bentley... Uh, you know, he won the classic in 69, but I would argue that he, while he was a young up and coming driver who could certainly win races, I don't know how many features he actually won in the deuce. I think it was maybe a few, but I don't think it was, I don't think he won a championship, right? He won a track championship in it. I don't know if they ever ran every week, but, um, he, you know, obviously his best years were from 76 to his retirement in 2007. So, um, oh, I shouldn't use that word around, around Bentley 76 until he ran his last race until now in 2007. (laughs) Um, and then you got auto in there and I've, I've always said, there's a short list of guys that run today that I think could have, could have fit in the, in the seventies and been competitive Otto's one of them, you know, and, and, um, I always thought Michael Barnes was another, he's sitting in 19th, which doesn't really say anything necessarily about his capability as a driver it's just you know um, it's it's just where he falls in this index you know you could look at someone like Chuck siprich who's sitting in 21st um and you say well my gosh that's one of the best drivers to ever race at a the guy ran dirt the guy ran asphalt the guy ran modifieds he ran supers he tried indie he ran sprint cars a little bit I think you know, I mean, uh, again, um, this, this isn't a statement necessarily about whether you had all that talent. It's just how your results sort of measured up. And, um, Chuck only had, uh, about three or four years, I think in the Buckner car and not to disrespect any of his previous car owners, but those cars weren't winning cars they were in some cases competitive and then in the case of the c15 he just made it competitive but you know so you can kind of go back and forth it's but you got to have some way to score it and i think i would look at the top i would look at the top three for sure and say so we asked the question i asked the question a few weeks ago i thought more of you would would chime in on it. But who would be your Mount Rushmore if you had four spots? You know, because you figure, I and I kind of based that on, you know, we can't have just three. That would be impossible. But if you have four, who are they? Well, here, according to this, by this score, it would be Jimmy Champagne, Nolan Swift, Bentley Warren and Otto Sitterly. I would have a hard time arguing with that. Very honestly. I mean, yeah. certainly the top three, I don't I don't argue with. I think Jimmy, Nolan, and Bentley, there's your three. If there's three, there's your three. I, and I think, so I, I would look at this score and, and say, well, there's some degree of accuracy here, in my opinion, because there's your top three. So, and out of that, now furlong obviously won bunches of races he won six what yeah six classics won multiple championships too i think um you know he's in seventh and i think again if you if you if you just look at um i don't know did greg run 15 years i don't know that he did i don't think he did maybe he might have gotten 10 i don't i don't know so if you, it again, you look at some of this and, and so, y- you know, you can sort of argue within it, but if you're just talking pure Mount Rushmore status, it's hard to argue with these top three, Jimmy, Nolan, and Bentley. I mean, they all, you know, again, Nolan retired in 78. Jimmy obviously was, was left us in, in 82. Um, Bentley raised till, you know, <laughs> till he was 70. <laughs> and, um, so gozick has got three years left in Bentley years. Gozick still got three years. Um, so hang around, Joe, um, stay in the gym. <laughs> um, but I mean, it's just, it, it's, I, it's hard to argue because I would believe that these cars of today are easier to race, easier to drive than the cars in the seventies. I don't think just on the bare face of that statement, I don't think you can, I don't think you can argue with that. They handle better. They're stuck like glue. Um, I, so I would say that Jimmy, I mean, obviously <laughs> he would have been too old to, but if you, if you took Jimmy and Nolan in their prime, put them in today's cars. I think they they're just fine. I think Bentley would be just fine. Um, now again, the feel that those guys were used to, especially Bentley, cause he liked, he liked to run a car off the right rear. And there were other cars that he drove like Muldoon's cars that weren't set up that way. So he didn't have the success in him that some others did who didn't have that old sort of hustle style of driving. Um, but that's why I look at somebody like Otto or Michael Barnes, for example, just to pick two that I think could go back and, and be quite comfortable in the 70s because, you know, those guys aren't afraid to hustle cars. Um, so, you know, it's it, it's just a really interesting conversation to have, but I don't think you can deny the top three on this list. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Okay, so let's talk about what's in a number. Um and I'm going to use this segment uh, to welcome a new, uh, a new supporter to uh, Steering Will Nation and all of its properties. And it is Wiggity Wayne Sauces. If you like barbecue sauces, if you like ketchup, you got to check out Wiggity Wayne sauces.com w- Wayne Hanslick is from Western New York. He's a, he's a native New Yorker and, um, his products are all made in the Northeast and Wayne has come up with it's, it. It's it's the neatest little character. It's based on Wayne himself. Um, and there's a whole variety of sauces. If you're into sauces and, and you know, and into ketchup, um, you know, he jokingly. I said, "Well, what do I say about you know what? What is it that you you like to say about your your product?" And and you know, he laughed and and you know, because he was talking to me. Well, if you if you've tried the best, you can forget the rest. Once you tried the best, you forget the rest. Um, and <laughs> um, that's kind of Wiggity Wayne in character. And um, just go to Wiggity Wayne. That's W I G G. I D Y Wayne sauces.com or just, you know, get into our steering wheel nation hub. And we'll also have, um, we'll have some stuff on our socials here as we get into uh, next week. Wayne is actually uh, one of the sponsors of our NHRA coverage too. Um, this, this weekend from Z max at Charlotte, that's coming up, but um, wiggity Wayne sauces.com is where I want y'all to go. And just, just, Pick something and order it. There are some amazing flavors there, um. And Wayne's a great guy. He's really he's 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 a young uh young man who's trying to build a business, and I think we need to support folks like that. And so, um, you know, I would ask you all to to try some, and and then give him some good feedback because um, great guy, and and we want to welcome him to the family of steering nation supporters so with that being said let's talk about the number 29 shall we know this is a number that's tricky for me i hope i can get most of it because again i'm gonna i know that we're 29s probably before my time but i start in 1973 and in that year the 29 and i can even go back at least to 72 the the 29 was owned by dick rayner and um i think it was he and uh roy murphy who built the 29 that was racing at that time and mark letcher was driving it mark ran that particular car um, I think in 72 and then in 73, he ended up driving for Hagen Howard. And I think, I don't remember b- because what happened uh, eventually at some point, and I think it may have been 73 when this happened late in the season, Dick Rayner bought the number 66 Holinski chassis from Dick Schofield that Red Barnhart and Mike Losher had driven the year before. And I think Johnny Spencer had a week in it too. Um and they painted it yellow and made it the number 29. Now I believe that in '74, um I think it was 74's class. Yes, it was the 74 classic, I think think. Um, no, Freddie Graves, I think, drove it in the Classic in 73. So I think they did have it before the end of 73. I think Freddie ran it in the Classic that year. And I think the next year, I think Letcher was back in it, ran it for most of the season. And I think he did run the Classic, I, I, I think, um, in 74. And then... In 75, they changed the number to 76 and Ronnie Wallace drove it. We all know what happened there. He, that was Ronnie's, thank God, so thankful to say that finally Ronnie got the recognition and the results that I always thought that he deserved and won, champion, won the championship in several races. Unfortunately, his classic luck just was always bad. He just never had any good luck in the classic. But he drove that car as the 76. So the 29, I think, was idle. Now, somewhere I remember Lou Palker in a 29 too, I think. And that I think I remember reading that from one of the older programs. So like 71, 72, maybe it was the same car Letcher took over. I don't know. Maybe it was for Rainer. But I, I feel like I remember Lou Palker in a 29 earlier but then we had Letcher, and then we had Graves, and then Letcher again, and then um, we had uh, Ronnie Wallace ran it as the 76. The 29 then went away, I think. I don't think there was a 29 for a year or two. And then, and I don't remember when he started, but Don Haas Jr., had the 29 and I'm trying to think what car he first bought because he had a few. (laughs) Um, I don't remember. He, I know he had, he bought pretty sure he bought the Jim Muldoon 68 car. That would have been the old Nick Virgo car. And I think that one he destroyed, I I don't know if that was his first or second. He called all three of his cars that he had mouse. So it was mouse one, mouse two, and mouse three. I don't know if that car was mouse one or mouse two, but I I do remember that that was one of the ones he had. I don't remember where he got. uh, There was an orange one which was his first one. And that, I don't remember if that was the Virgo X Virgo car, but I think it was either Mouse 1 or Mouse 2 that was that one. And, and so the second car was, I think he, it was just like silver, like primer. I don't think he ever painted it. He just put a number on I think. Um, and he, he had a bad wreck with that one, again, uh, Classic Weekend, I think, the following year. So whatever years those would have been. And... I think that was probably like later 70s. So I'm going to say maybe 77, 77, 78, 79. And then in 1980, Jim Muldoon helped to finish the Herm Graf C-15 and drove it that season. But he also built a car for Don Hawes. It was an offset car, and it was Ha's last car. It was the red one, and I loved that car. I thought that car was sharp, and I, I, I honestly, I always wanted to see Muldoon get in it and, and see if he could kind of get it going better because I, I, I never, you know, I always, again, you always root for the underdog. I always wanted to see if Don could, you know, could, take the next step with, with regard to speed and, and competitiveness. He was a great guy, super nice fellow. Um, and again, I think it was classic of that year that he had, uh, a wreck and, um, and, and then he didn't, he didn't bring it back. He, he, I don't know what happened to any of the cars. I'm assuming they just all got cut up, but, um, or maybe no actually the last car he had i think he sold to a guy named Pete Turford i think that's where mouse 3 went i think Pete Turford bought it he made it 70 and i remember don running it one night as the 70 but then it then it never came back so i don't know if that car still exists or not would be interesting to know that i think it was white i think he painted it white I think Pete was out of Canada, pretty sure. And Don ended up, his last drive, his last ride, was actually at Ronnie McLeod's 81. Um, and it was for a classic. And again, I'm thinking it would have had to have been around 81, 82. It was for a classic. And he i because i remember when we got to the track it was sunday morning it was race day but they they have the um no i guess it would have been saturday because i think this was back in the day when they would have time trials they would have um group practice so you had you know if you had you know 60 cars there 50 cars there they divided them into groups of relatively equal numbers and I don't know how I think they drew or something I don't really know how they did it but um each group would get a few practice laps and then they'd you know put them back on the grid and send them out according to the order of the group and um I'm pretty sure that when I got to the track um I think Don was whatever group he was in I think was just coming out and I remember seeing that it was him in the car and thinking, well, this will be interesting. You know, <laughs> hope he makes the race. Right. Um, and something broke in the steering or something. because I remember he, he just pulled to a stop in between turns one and two up high, like didn't hit the wall. I don't think just sort of stopped up there. And th- that was, that was it. And I don't think he or the car ever came back. Um, him and Ron McClell were buddies. And I think Don was from he was from out uh somewhere out near Red Creek, I think. I don't think he was that far from Kept Dates. Maybe Wolcott or somewhere, but Don sold Christmas trees. He 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 um that was his living. He he grew and or I think, yeah, I think he grew them and sold them. Um and um he sold a bunch of trees to buy that last car and um that was a nice looking car it was a, it was a cool car and so when he was after that um this is where it gets cuz you you know you get the one offer you know somebody comes in and runs for a couple of weeks and makes it 29 cuz you know like a number change or whatever but the next one i remember would have been years later and it would have been the dundigan car and that was when Bentley. I think Bentley was first to drive that number for Dunnigan. And then uh geez, I don't know. I think because it kind of became uh, musical Cars and Numbers a little bit with that organization. Um and, it, and again, you know, Paul uh if you don't know who Paul Dunnigan was, Paul Dunnigan was a very successful businessman from New England. And he was a huge super modified fan. And Paul bought out the Mike Mazur organization basically when Mike, um, Mike, uh, I'm trying to think what happened there, but something happened with Mike where, um, I think the business he was in, which I think was making boat motors, marine motors, um, it, it just took a real downturn. So he, he had to kind of get out of it, which was too bad because Mike was a great guy. Um, and then Paul, so Paul basically kind of got all that and he got Brian Elagresso who built the cars with it and Bentley came with it. And <laughs> Paul owned a chain of video stores called Landmark Video. And, you know... <laughs> Back in the day, you know, a lot of those stories, you'd go and rent your videotapes, but then there was a back room. (laughs) And, you know, the back room was, uh, shall we say, for adults only, right? You'd you'd watch, you know. And, of course, I remember someone asking Bentley, you know, about what what Paul did and, uh, you know, Bentley's comment was something like, Yeah, they got these these machines in the back, and you put a you know, you put a quarter in there. Yeah, I don't know what they do, he says. <laughs> <laughs> um but um Paul Paul went out I mean he went all out man. His his cars were beautiful, spared no expense. Um and he was really into it. He ran the team well And they had just a ton of the the, the best drivers. Bentley get out of the 29 eventually. And uh, I mean, Russ Wood ran it forever. But then I do think Ordway a little bit in that number. um, Geez, I don't even know who else. Uh, um, Because again, Paul had multiple numbers. So I think the 29, I remember Bentley and I remember Russ Wood. But I almost want to say Ordway might have had a little time in there too with that car. Maybe not. Um, with that number and that's as far as the big block supers, I'm trying to think if, if I remember a more recent one, and again, this is where I'm going to get stung probably. Um, and there might've been some more in the Dunnigan car. I just, that they ran a lot in new England and i it was hard to keep track because the number it not only did the the did some of the drivers run in multiple of the cars but like the numbers all there was a 25 and there was a 26 and a 29 and a 17 and a i don't know what else they had a number of different numbers that were used so um I know Randy Sweet ran some, but I think he had a 16. I think that was, um, so other than, other than that, I can't think of any of don't remember any other Dunnigan. And I don't trying to remember if there was another 29. The only other 29 I remember at Oswego in a more recent era was Kevin Battelle ran, uh, 29 for the, in the, he had that number in his, um, his uh limited super, which now is SPS, and then of course now in that class, um, that is one of the O'Connor cars, and you know, they had a number of drivers in it. Uh Sean Goslin ran it for the SPS Classic this year, did very well. Andy Loden ran it uh a year or two ago. And I'm trying to think if they had anybody else. Um, I think there was one other driver. Who was it? I can't remember. Um, but I feel like there was one other driver that got in that car. Uh, so I think I'm close, but you know, some fun stories in the seventies with that number. Cause I mean, you had, you had the whole, uh, Letcher, uh, Mark Letcher, when he ran that, that, uh, car for Dick Rayner in 74, he did well with it. I don't, he didn't win any features, but I don't believe, but he, he did really well with it and was competitive with it. Um, but boy, for some reason, when Ronnie Wallace got in that car and they changed the number, I mean, I, again, what's in the number, right? But, um, boy, Ronnie and that team just meshed and it just took off. And that again, chemistry can be everything, right? And so, um, And then the whole Don Haas uh, story is, is a fun one because Don went on to become a, an Olympic, I believe he won the gold. He was a star in luge or Bob. No, I think it was luge, um, luge or bobsled. I can't remember. Um, but he, he, that was his calling. He did really, really well. And, and he was like a world champion, I think. Right. And, and, um, so great guy that would be, I, I don't know if Don would ever do a show with us, but I'd love to love to talk to him, you know, just, um, fun stuff. And and that era was, was full of personalities like that, um, that came in and, um, brought a lot of, you know, I, I call it color, a lot of color to super modified racing back then. And, um, you always wanted to see them do well. You know, so there's your what's in a number, and um, that's gonna wrap the show up. I uh, hope you enjoyed Brandon Young. That was a I had no idea that Brandon's mom's side of the family, that Brandon's grandfather and his mom's side was was involved with um the. Uh, the Graves team in the in the limo with in the in the Hevron Ordway years and whoever else they had there were a ton Cliff Graves and I don't know if I I, again I don't know if like all the sponsors were for all the cars or whatever but you had Bellinger and just a bunch of different Schillick and whoever else but um that was that was interesting it's just funny how small the world is up there when it comes to motorsports so um hope you enjoyed the show and uh, again, congratulations to our Evans Mills winners. We'll see if we can get Cam to jump on with us for next week and get more details on the race. But I wanted to get this show out today. So um, wanted to just get it finished up and let you hear from Brendan Young. Hope you enjoyed it. And really, really looking forward to, uh, we've got a lot more interviews coming, a lot more content coming. Um, and uh, again, it's just really a matter of scheduling it. And uh, making it happen, and you know everybody's so busy now; it's just hard to hard to catch people. But we've got uh, we got quite a list here that we're trying to work through um, from from when I was up there for classics. So uh, thanks to our sponsors: JNS Paving, Rich Worth, um, IPC Indie, and Performance Composites.com, Jeff West and his team, and uh, Sean Cathcart with uh, Skip's Fish Fry slash Lagroff's Pub. Um, thanks to all of them. And of course, our new sponsor, go to com and order something and and go and uh, follow Wiggity Wayne Sauces on Facebook and tell them thanks for sponsoring motorsports. Um, Wayne is a big, big racing fan and he's a kart racer himself. He runs um, with the uh, two cycle, or sorry, the four cycle road race uh, karting type deal so um he's actually a racer himself so wiggity wayne sauces w-i-g-g-i-d-y wiggity wayne sauces.com please uh, go let them know that you appreciate their support and um and and follow wayne as well on uh facebook so um until episode 130 of the inside Groove super modified podcast i am tom baker thank you so much for listening so long
0: You've been listening to Inside Groove, powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Find them on the web at www.ipcindy.com. The opinions expressed by our guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff, management, affiliates, or marketing partners. No part of this show may be reproduced in any manner without the expressed written consent of RaceChaser Media. Thank you for listening.